Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther and how it's a record of decisions that King Ahasuerus, Mordecai, Esther, and Haman made and the judgment that is recorded too. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and iTunes. Now here's Tom Cantor with today's teaching from the book of Esther. Lord, we come to you this morning and ask you to infect us with the spirit of John the Baptist, who said that he had to decrease so that you could increase. And so, Lord, may you increase so much in our hearts this morning that when we stop to count the cost, we just say, all for Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, if you turn in, uh, please, uh, to uh, Esther, chapter 2, as we continue this morning, this wonderful book, and... uh, want to uh, specifically focus our attention this morning on the last three verses of this chapter, and I'm going to read them. Chapter 2, verse 21. In those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door, were wroth and sought to lay hand on King Ahasuerus. And the thing was known to Mordecai who told it unto Esther the queen. And Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Now, the last time we were together, we saw in the lives of Mordecai and Esther a little bit of how to be used by God. We all want to be used by God. And these two wonderful individuals, Mordecai and Esther here, gave us great insight. And they saw, this is exactly what we're going to see here, is exactly in keeping with what we found with Mordecai in the past. We've seen Mordecai was a man who was available for God. That was Mordecai. Life for Mordecai was not a series of, oh no, what's next? That wasn't Mordecai. That wasn't him. (laughs) That's us. No, that wasn't Mordecai. Life for Mordecai, he viewed life as a beautiful set of opportunities that he could, I can choose to please God. I can see, I can choose to please God. And with each one of these opportunities, all of heaven waited and God waited to see what Mordecai's decision would be. And we could just picture the angels saying among themselves, do you think with this new opportunity that Mordecai has that he'll do it God's way, or do you think he'll do it Mordecai's way? And when Mordecai chose God's way, we can imagine that a shout went up in heaven because Mordecai was then again used of God. And so God, because of that, gave to Mordecai more and more opportunities. Started off in our book here. We don't know everything about his life, but we see him. He adopted little Hadassah. And with that opportunity came a decision for Mordecai. Was it going to be, oh, you know, with my job and my responsibilities and everything else and trouble of taking care of with what I already have? You know, it's a, let someone else take care of her. Or would it be, God has placed this little girl, into my responsibility. I'll grab the opportunity. I'll raise her for God. Because when Mordecai said within himself, a soul, a little Hadassah, a soul that I can raise for God, that's far more valuable than anything I can do 
It's far more valuable than any business I can do. I'll take care of that girl. I'll take that girl like my daughter. I'll raise her for God. I want to point out to you that when we get the relationship spelled out for us, that Esther was Mordecai's cousin. Okay, So it was Mordecai's cousin. So that helps us to understand a little bit about Esther, that when she viewed Mordecai as God appointed in her life, it said in this chapter that she did the commandment of Mordecai. She was obedient to Mordecai. She didn't take the attitude and say, who are you? You're an equal with me. You're just my cousin. She didn't take that attitude. She saw that God had appointed Mordecai in her life. And she looked at Mordecai and she said, that's God's appointment to guard me and to keep me. But this Mordecai, he made this decision to raise her for God. A shout goes out from heaven. Good decision, Mordecai. Good decision. Such a great decision that God said, write that decision in a book. All right? So, this we got it. That's the book. <laughs> it's a book. Mordecai had no idea that the book of decisions was going to be made. Because the book of Mordecai's decisions was written down, and so we have it, and we've got the decisions that Mordecai made and the decisions that Esther made, and we got it all here in the book of Esther. And that's very interesting. And God was very interested to have this verse 7 in chapter 2. Verse 7, you can almost hear God saying to the writer of the books, now you be sure to include that about Mordecai's decision there in verse 7. See? Verse 7. As a matter of fact, when you look at verse 7 of chapter 2, the way it's written, you want to really understand this book of Esther? You've got to insert some words, like God. <laughs> it's not in the book, right? But there's other words you can insert to make it clear as well. And so two very important words, or words that you can insert, for example, are chosen and decided. You could insert the words decided in verse 7, and it becomes very clear. Look at Esther 2, 7. And he decided to bring up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, decided to take for his own daughter. See? You can insert that in there. Two key decisions that Mordecai made. You want to understand the Bible? Want to understand our lives? Look for the decisions. Look for the decision points and see where you can insert that. Those are two key decisions that Mordecai made. First, to take Hadassah, and second, to raise her as his own daughter. And that's what this book is all about. This book is a book of decisions. This book is the book of Esther is a record of decisions. This is a book of the record of decisions that King Ahasuerus made. This is a book of decisions that Mordecai made. This is a book of decisions that Esther made. This is a book of decisions that Haman made. That's the book of Esther. You get to the book of Genesis, it's a book, it's a record of the decisions that God made. It's the decisions that Eve made. It's the decisions that Adam made. It's the decisions that Abel made. It's the decisions that Cain made, that Noah made, that Abraham made, that Isaac made, that Esau made, that Jacob made, that Joseph made. That's essentially the book of Genesis. It's the book of the decisions, the record of the decisions that were made. Those decisions were made by these people, and a book of decisions, of their decisions, was written, and we call it the book of Genesis, and we read it today. Why do we call it the book of Genesis? As the Jewish people really didn't know what to name the book, so they just took the first word in the book, Genesis. So that's how they did a lot of the namings. But anyways, it's a book of decisions, record of decisions. There's another record of decisions that you think about this. And the decision, where we've just read this here, when Mordecai made this decision 
to go ahead and to uncover this conspiracy, to make it public, and we're going to talk about that. Then it says that there was a book that was written down in, in the last part of verse 23. His decision, of course the whole history was written down there, but the decision that Mordecai made to uncover this was written in that book called the book of the Chronicles before the king. And that was a decision. So you think about these books, Esther, you think about Genesis, you think about this book of the Chronicles of the king, and how really the real important content is what were the decisions that were recorded. And so you look at that, and then turn, if you would, with that in mind, to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 through 10. And so here we're talking about books and record of decisions. And here in chapter 7 of Daniel, in verses 9 through 10, it reads, and Daniel speaking, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit whose garment was white as snow, his hair of his head like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream, like a river, issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands, millions ministered unto him, and 10,000 times 10,000 many people, stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So here we have a picture of the Ancient of Days. Who's the Ancient of Days? We just have to remember that in Micah 5.2, when it spoke about the coming of the Messiah, and it said, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of these shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Same idea. He's the one from everlasting. He's the Ancient of Days. This Ancient of Days is the one that was born in Bethlehem. This Ancient of Days is the one who's the King of the Jews. This Ancient of Days is the one who is from everlasting. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who He is here in Daniel 7, 9-10. through 10. And So what do we see him doing it. Isn't he Jesus? Didn't we sing about this Jesus during Christmas time? Isn't he the one who was away in a manger? Isn't he the one who was no crib for a bed? Isn't he the one who's the little Lord Jesus who laid down his sweet head? So where's that Christmas scene now? Well, it's not here. That's history. This is a coming scene in Daniel 7. This is a new scene of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not away in a manger, not no crib for a bed, not the little sweet Lord Jesus laying down a sweet head. No, no. Here is a new scene of the Lord Jesus Christ seated, sitting down as the judge on his judgment seat. It's a new scene of thrones cast down in front of him. It's a new scene of a fiery flame, like a burning stream of fire that's coming out from him. It's a new scene of such intense holiness and purity of the Lord Jesus Christ with the garments and the hair that the purity and the holiness consumes in judgment the impurity and the sinfulness of sinners. It's a new scene of millions doing His will, carrying out His will. It's a new scene of billions standing before Him, each waiting for their own individual judgment. That's the scene 
And you see the last words of Daniel 7.10? It says, the judgment was set and the books, plural, were opened. The books were opened. Very carefully notice that. The books were opened. What books were opened? It was the bringing out of those books and it was the opening of those books that made for what's called here the judgment was set. Now the books that were brought out and the books that were opened, what are those books? Those books, like what we talked about here in Esther and in Genesis, that matter of the whole Bible, those books are the books of decisions. They are the record of every decision that everyone has ever made. Everyone that's ever made a decision to sin are recorded in those books. Every, I decided to try to get away with it, that's recorded in those books. Every decision based on, well, no one will ever know. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. And so they didn't stay in Las Vegas, one of those books, see? And each one stands with those books open and with a perfect memory restored. That's the awfulness of it. Each sinful decision is read aloud out of those books. And the fiery flame of the throne just carries the sinner into an eternal lake of fire. That's what's happening there. That's the judgment. It's all about the books. It's all about the books. And there's another place in Scripture where these books are referred to. And turn with Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. Again, we see the books again in Revelation 20 verse 12 where it says, And I saw, uh, 20 verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books, there they are again. The books were opened. And another book, singular, one book, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. So here's the same scene in Revelation 20 as we have in Daniel 7. There's these books, these books of all these sinful decisions. The books were opened, the dead are judged out of them according to the books, what's written in the books. Those books are the decisions that each person has made. And each book has a title of every person's name. Everybody's got a book. He said, these are the the decisions. I don't want to open that book. I don't want to see that book. I'm just really happy if that book stays closed. But every one of us has a book. God's into the writing business. He's into the writing book business. And so these are the books. And so here in verse 12, we see that there's another book. Not books, another book. This is a wonderful book. This is called the book of life. The book of life. And this book of life is the record People written in this book of life, they're spared. They're not cast into the lake of fire. They're spared getting the opening of the other books. And that's why it says in verse 15, whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So like those other books, but this book is also a book of decisions in the book of life. But this book of life is a record of who decided to receive God's gift, the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and God. And the decisions of each person are recorded in that book. 
And when the gift of God's work was presented to each sinner, that God became a man, that the Lord Jesus Christ was that man, so he could be the perfect lamb of God, so that he could die, as we heard about this morning in that song, for man's sin, so he could rise again on the third day. And now that sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is offered by God to every sinner. And God stands by, and the angels stand by, and whenever any sinner says, I surrender, and I throw down the weapons of my warfare against God, all the arguments that I had against God, evolution and the rest of it, I throw it down, and I receive God's gift the Lord Jesus Christ. A shout goes up in heaven, just like with Mordecai. And God says, write his name down. Write his name down in that book. Make sure you get it right. And that's the book of life. And at the judgment, that book of life is open. And if a man's or a woman's, if a person's name appears there, that means they're spared from having their other books open and be judged out of them. By his decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, the saved sinner becomes a child of God. That's wonderful. And he's spared from having his books of his, all his sinful decisions opened up. And the death of the Lord Jesus Christ just pays for all the sinful decisions in the other books. So whenever a Jewish person, whenever a Gentile person understands he's not perfect, he understands he has sinned against God, he understands that God became the sacrifice, the perfect Passover lamb, he understands that God stands ready to apply the blood of his son onto the door of your heart, Whenever he understands that, he stands, understands that the Lord Jesus Christ is on the outside knocking on the door, and he swings open the door of his life, and he receives the Lord Jesus Christ. At that point, heaven stands ready, God stands ready, angel stands ready, and they are ready to write down the name. That's what they do. And that's marvelous. When a person does that, Jew or Gentile, then he turns away from his position of Jesus never, and now, or maybe later, and he turns to a position of all for Jesus. I give myself, all of myself for Jesus. So that's a wonderful thing. And that's about the book. And that's when the person says to God, Lord, have mercy on me, a lost sinner. I gladly bow. I gladly receive your gift. Oh, here's the heart right here, Lord. Put the blood right on it because I don't want you to judge me. And I want you, when you see the blood on the door of my heart, I want you to pass over. I don't deserve the protection But if you're given, I'm taken. And so that's what it's all about. Now, just as in Esther 2.23, Mordecai's name was written in this book of Chronicles before the king. And it was a very long time in life that it seemed like for Mordecai that he didn't get any honor for it. He didn't get any benefit for it. I mean, he told this, and they did an investigation, and then they killed the two people. And it doesn't say anything happened to Mordecai. It just kind of went on with life. But then there was that day... In Esther 6, we're going to come to it, verse 1 and 3. And that day came when on that night, it says, could not the king sleep? And he commanded to bring the book. There's that book of the records of the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found that Mordecai had told of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, keeper of the door, who sought to lay hand on the king of Ahasuerus. And the king said, what honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? And they said the king. Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, there's nothing done for him. So there was nothing done for him for all this time. But his name was written down. And the day came when Mordecai, for Mordecai, when the king opened up the book. And there it was written, in just black and white. And that was a good thing that his name was there. In the same way, for us, who have received the Lord Jesus Christ, names written down in the book of life, 
we may go through a long life. We may think, I don't get any benefit. There's no benefit. Believe you me, there's going to be a day when that book's opened up, like when the king opened up the book, and, and you're going to be very, very glad your name's written there. Tom, you've touched on repentance before in past teachings, but many today feel like repenting or turning back to God sounds like mission impossible. Can you help some of our listeners struggling with those thoughts right now? God doesn't want it to be mission impossible. God doesn't want it to be something where they look and they say, ah, forget about it, I'm gonna give up before I start. So he's very, very tender, and God is very, very gentle, and God explains very, very carefully, and he starts in Hosea 5.4, and he says about Israel, they won't take the first step. What's the first step? They will not frame their doings to turn unto the Lord, to turn unto their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known the Lord. You know, he uses this word frame. It's a wonderful term, frame. It's like you take a picture of your life, and you know what a frame does? A frame describes what the picture is. That's really what the frame does. And so he's saying, look, take a picture of your life and put a frame around it that says sinner and come to me and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. See my life, I'm sinful. He says, he says take the frame and put the frame around your life and said, without God, and, and come to God and say, Lord, I'm without you. I don't wanna be, but that's the way I am. You take your picture of your life and you put and you put a frame around it and the frame says alien from God and you come to God and you say Lord I'm an alien from you I don't want to be an alien anymore he said if he says frame their doings to turn unto their God in other words feel the alienationship of it all feel the sinfulness of it all feel the godlessness of it all and frame your doings, frame your life, and come to God and say, oh God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, I'm godless, I'm an alien from God. Will you please do that for me, Lord? And then you know what? God says, if you come that way, I will, I will, do, I, I will forgive you. I will, I will make you a child of God instead of an alien from God. I'll make you a godly person instead of a godless person. I'll make you a, a saint instead of a sinful person. And they don't do it in Hosea 5.4. And the reason is, God said it, they haven't known the Lord. They don't know God because they don't know that he's so abundantly wanting to pardon them and have mercy on them. And when you know that, you turn and you say, I'm coming to God with my problems because God's my solution. But Tom, what specifically is it with repentance that makes a person become what they weren't? which is a forgiven child of God. So, you know, that's a really good question because the point about that is that we're talking about repentance and we're describing it in such ways that we're saying that, oh, if you repent, this is gonna happen. And, you, and, and it's very easy when we're talking that way to think to yourself, wow, repentance, some kind of a magic formula or something or some kind of something, and boom, it happens because I repent. But the, you know what? It's very important to understand why repentance can make a person a forgiven child of God. And it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what this verse is really saying and what it's explaining to us is that it's all about God. 
It's God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. When we go back to Genesis and there was great darkness over the face of the earth, it says that God saw the darkness and then he spoke, let there be light. And that's why there was light. So coming, so, so, so the darkness on the earth didn't automatically result in light. It was God who played the role of saying, let there be light. In the same way, when a person comes to God and said, oh God, I'm full of darkness. Oh God, I'm full of sin. Oh God, I'm bad. Then you know what? And I, and I don't want to be that way anymore. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm turning. I'm turning as best I can toward you. God sees that and he points down at that sinner on the earth and he says, I command light to shine out of that darkness. And all of a sudden, Because the person has come to God in repentance, which is God's way, all of a sudden the person says, you know what? I understand. I can see see that God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, and I see it in the face of Jesus Christ. I never saw that before. Why did you never see it before? Because you never repented. And when you repent, God says, I command light to shine out of the darkness. That's what God loves to do. That's why we love God. That's why we turn to him with all our heart. That's why we say, Lord Jesus, you're for me. I want to be for you. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Now, if you'd like Tom Cantor's powerful new book that details 194 prophecies and fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, this book is available today for a donation of $20 or more. You can contact us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. For Tom Cantor's new book, The Prophecy and the Fulfillments of the Lord Jesus Christ, call us 1-800-247-3051. 3051 donation of $20 or more will get you that book today. 1-800-247-3051 or go to friendshipwithgod.org for more information. Friendshipwithgod.org. Join us again tomorrow.